is going on? Welcome to the program. Happy Tuesday. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. The phone number, you already know the phone number. I'll give it to you anyway. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. So did Charlotte just ban drive through restaurants? drive throughs in your fast food places, it seems like they kind of sort of did. Although they deferred the vote last night, I I watched the, I did, I went home. I was going to just like go to sleep because yesterday I was really, really tired. And I said, I'm just going to go right to sleep because I stayed up way too late Sunday night. And uh, then I remembered there's a, there is a city council meeting and it's a rezoning meeting, which are like the most boringest of the meetings. But... I knew there was this this matter that was coming before the council. It was a Chick-fil-A and a Starbucks in Greer Heights on Wendover Road. The developer, Piedmont Capital, asked for this uh, uh, rezoning, and they got some opposition from the zoning commission, the zoning committee. They recommended rejection. Now, the city staff recommends approval. Now, the matter got deferred, so there was no vote on it last night. But the story out of the Charlotte Ledger by Tony Messia, what he, what he explains regarding this rezoning should let everybody know going forward, the zoning committee apparently is not going to approve drive throughs at least for Chick-fil-A and Starbucks, I guess, which this, this actually brings up another thing. Um, Chick-fil-A. Why, why is their business model, their footprint, their construction, the restaurants themselves, why are they not just, uh, I don't know, driveways? Right? Seriously. I, I, I don't think I've ever actually gone into a Chick-fil-A in the last, gosh, five years or so. I mean, obviously with the pandemic and all that, but Chick-fil-A have you seen the drive through lines? Of course you have. They spill out into the streets. They are so long. Everybody needs all the hate chicken. Um, so, no, I, obviously, they have some addictive properties inside the chicken breading. It's the only thing I can figure out, or it's the pickle. And uh, that's why everybody keeps going there. Either that or we are a nation of haters. And uh, the, the lines are just always so long. They even, they even set up the second line. They have two drive through lanes. And then they stick a person, like, in the in the lanes to take your order before you get to the window, right? They got they got people like swarming and buzzing around, taking orders. And I mean, great customer service. Don't get me wrong. I like Chick Fil A. Not a fan of waffle fries. It's not on them. I just don't like. I don't. It's just too much potato. It's too much potato. So anyway, because um, I do like the French fries when I used to eat them. I don't like the waffle fries. Although, I will point out, it is the superior delivery mechanism for mayo. But that's a whole different discussion. So, I've been kicking around an idea. I'm going to give this idea because you know me. I am a giver, and I am all about solutions. And so, I'm offering this solution to Chick-fil-A. Two words. You ready? Go vertical. Yeah, yeah. Go vertical. You're thinking about this all wrong. You can't You can't keep, obviously, not in Charlotte any longer, you can't keep building the little uh, restaurants with the drive-through lanes 
that wrap around the restaurant because the lines get so long, you cannot contain. It's like, you know, Walter Payton. You can't stop it. You can only hope to contain, but you can't even do that. You're like, you're just wrapping the thing, wrapping the lines around the building, and you it's going to be very costly. So go vertical. What I'm thinking here, you know the, what's the parking deck? Is it the, is the old BB&T deck in Uptown, right? It's got the, it's got the the ramps that in, uh, the right there on the corner. Yeah, I think it's at the College Street or something, right? And you can see the car ramp at the very tight, very, you do that. Very tight spiral ramps that go all the way up and then all the way down. It's like a, like a parking deck, but no parking. It's just a driveway. You go vertical, you go all the way up. And so then you're. You, you go up, and then you have a smaller footprint. You can pack way more cars in there, and nobody drives off. It eliminates that problem. Sounds like a win-win to me. And if you can, like, do some, I don't know, some, like, public art component on the outside, maybe, you know, say equity a couple times, you probably will get approvals from the city government. Win-win-win. I know what you're thinking. Look, there are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity. I always say it. We're just spitballing. These are ideas. I think it, these are some pretty good ones. Go vertical, Chick-fil-A. So the zoning committee finds that adding the two restaurant drive throughs quote, does not support environmental sustainability policies contained in the Charlotte 2040 plan, which was just recently approved on a, a six to five vote, a one vote Margin. And they passed this last year. At the time, they said it was an aspirational document outlining a vision for Charlotte's future. But the zoning committee's interpretation of it as discouraging new drive throughs shows how the plan is already affecting land use decisions. So writes Tony Messia at the Charlotte Ledger. Uh, Greer Heights residents had uh, opposed the redevelopment uh, at the Wendover Plaza Shopping Center. They cite concerns about traffic. Everybody cites concerns about traffic. And this is where I point out that we are traffic. You are traffic. I am traffic. The developer said that without the restaurant additions, though, the center would likely lose the Food Lion supermarket that's in there. Full disclosure, I used to shop at that Food Lion. That was the closest grocery store to me when I lived off of Eastway Drive. And in East Charlotte. And that food line is the only grocery store in the economically fragile neighborhood. So, yeah, I remember, like, it was the first time. I want, what, They closed at, like, 8 o'clock or something. 7 or 8, maybe 9. We were just amazed. Like, wait, the grocery store closes? At, like, before midnight or something? So, this 2040 plan... You can call this an unintended consequence, but the way it was written now allows the Planning Commission chairperson, Kiba Samuel, who was one of the votes against the project, allows her to say that the advisory panel follows its own environmental and sustainability uh, policies and said, quote, I think the message to any landowner, any petitioner or petitioner's agent that's looking to come through the zoning committee with the addition of a drive through is that those will be heavily scrutinized and challenged. We're not going to approve a petition just because it's in a heavily auto-centric area, a car-centric area. So just because, you know, you're in an area where it has a, you know, a lot of 
vehicular traffic, that doesn't mean we're going to give you a drive through Is there an option for a walk-up window? How are we connecting walkability? How are we encouraging pedestrian-friendly environments? She acknowledged the 2040 plan does not mention drive throughs But she said, quote, it speaks about creating an equitable environment. It speaks towards multimodal mobility. This Chick-fil-A that was proposed uh, on Wendover at the Wendover Plaza, uh, they call it a relief Chick-fil-A, which means like you get to the Chick-fil-A and you're like, oh my gosh, what a relief. There's something to eat. No, I'm kidding. It's a relief Chick-fil-A because the Cotswold uh, Chick-fil-A is so busy. This is, this is to, to try to manage the overflow. <laughs> this is to get the Cotswoldians to get over to the, to the Wendoverians area. Anyway, uh, off of uh, Wendover. That's the idea. So wouldn't that help? Disperse the traffic rather than have more cars idling. You would move them through faster, which then reduces the CO2. I know I'm asking for some bit of logic to be applied to some equitable environmental standard, but I, but I, these are the questions that I have. So, considering that this is where we are, and apparently the zoning commission is just going to reject drive-throughs because of equitable and environmental reasons, my proposal is go vertical, Chick-fil-A. Go vertical. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT-704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. WBT Talking about drive throughs basically getting banned now by the zoning committee in Charlotte. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. I have a suggestion for the 2040 zonings are. Why don't we just have uh, drive throughs for EV cars? And everything, and that is going to dictate to the public, if you want to eat our food, you're going to have to go along with the Green New Deal. I like it. I like it. EV-only restaurants. You're not allowed even on the property unless you have a rechargeable car. That is correct. Yeah, I like it. Also, then I would know... And and also, they should have to have all the biodegradable... uh, you know, cartons and stuff like that. The I mean, straws. let's just, uh, you know what? They don't have to pry my cold, dead hands off of my gas guzzling SUV before <laughs> I'll even uh, attempt to even. Well, no, see, uh, now, no, now the president is now okay with you driving that large vehicle. He got the gas prices to come down for you. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's a leap. He's a wing nut. <laughs> well, that's, I find it interesting. They're now wanting credit for the gas prices that have dropped a couple cents, but a week ago, they were like, don't blame us for the gas prices, that's Vladimir Putin. So now that they're coming back down, now they want credit, but when they were going up, they didn't want blame. But I do like the idea of uh, of segregating people based on their car choices. Um, yes. Although I do wow. think it's going to lead to a bit of a food desert for poor people who cannot afford the, uh, the electric vehicles. Well, you know, they'll... They'll have to give them an electrical vehicle subsidies Maybe. like the uh, Obama phone. I like it. There you go. See that? Solutions. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we're all about here. We solve the world's problems every day for three hours. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate your contribution. You're quite welcome. All right, buddy. Um, 
Yeah, because I was thinking like maybe, you know, for the left, they would just say, well, if it means a whole bunch of people have to starve to death, you know, you got to you have to break some eggs, you know, when overturning systemic uh, bigotry and, and, and institutions rooted in the kind of, uh, you know, patriarchy and colonialism as uh, we are. So uh, usually that's uh, that's sort of the the explanation or justification whenever some bad things happen to uh, you know, people that are sympathetic. And so uh, they'll say, well, you know, we, you know, sometimes you have to break some of these eggs to make the omelet. Well, um, but I like Joe's response better. It's more politically appealing. You can actually say, well, why don't we just spend more money and we'll give them free cars? We'll give them subsidies to buy electric vehicles. So then they too can eat at the fast food places. Because now, You'd have to roll this out at the same time, because if you do the separate lanes for EVs or separate restaurants altogether for EVs, you're, if you don't do the subsidies immediately, then you're going to have two Americas. John Edwards was right. You're going to have two Americas, those who can eat at Chick-fil-A and those who cannot. Those who can eat at McDonald's and Burger King and all of the other fast food joints and those who cannot. I do wonder, though. What, what is going to be the business response when they can't build drive throughs any longer in Charlotte? What are they going to do? Yeah, like, are they going to redesign their footprints? Are they going to go vertical? Because I, I throw this idea out there, and I know you think, oh, Pete, you're just, you know, doing a radio bit. You're just making jokes. I'm serious. You need to go vertical. You need to go up. Because you're going to be able to get way more cars in the line as you go up. Now, maybe they don't approve that. But maybe there's some loophole. Maybe if you put one parking space or two at the very top, you can call it a parking deck. Because the city of Charlotte sometimes does let you do those. They do need some parking, you know? Just an idea. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Speaking of transportation, cars, and the environment, part of the budget, I went over this when the state lawmakers passed the budget and then Governor Cooper signed it into law. There was a there's a bit of a bit of a kerfuffle between Republicans, conservatives, over one element that was put in there to address the shortfall in transportation funding. The total budget's $27.9 billion for the fiscal year 22 through 23. That's about a 7.2% increase. Now, part of the budget redirects 2% of the revenue that comes from sales taxes. So that's like $193 million, and it redirects that money to the highway fund to support a variety of transportation purposes. And that's for just this current fiscal year, 22-23. Next year, the 2% goes up to 6%. And then it stays at 6% thereafter. They say this is the first step to address declining transportation revenues to keep up with population growth. So sales tax revenue will now be used to fund transportation projects, mainly roads. In North Carolina, it's mainly roads. This 
is also due to people driving more electric vehicles, but also cars that get better gas mileage. You're not filling up as much, and therefore you're not giving as much money to the state because you're not putting as much gas in your car. And the state collects somewhere in the neighborhood, uh, yeah, 38 and a half cents per gallon. Do you know that? 38.5 cents per gallon on the uh, gas price goes to state taxes. So that fund, though, has or the or the the projects that get funded by this revenue stream is getting squeezed because people aren't spending as much as they used to. Well, I was going to say on gasoline, but filling up the filling up the cars. The state doesn't get more tax money simply because of the increased cost to the baseline price of oil. Right. That there the the tax rate is set at thirty eight point five cents a gallon. Um, during the pandemic, the General Assembly actually froze that at like 36 cents a gallon. But, you know, emergency's over. Well, unless you're Roy Cooper, and then it ends like in August. Um, but the General Assembly lifted that uh, that freeze, and so now it's at 38 and a half cents. Paige Terryberry, senior analyst for fiscal policy at the John Locke Foundation, wrote about this uh, this funding crunch at the state level back in March. Increased fuel efficiency, more electric vehicles may render the gas tax obsolete. So new methods to pay for North Carolina roads must follow the user pays principle, meaning drivers pay in proportion to their road use. Mileage-based user fees, if applied in a private and cost-effective manner, could be the key to sustaining North Carolina roads. So this was the John Locke Foundation's uh policy proposal they said make it mileage based now they recognized there are going to be some like practical operational and privacy uh, concerns regarding this idea because how do you as the state government know how many miles i put on my car well i do take the car in every year for the mandatory inspection So maybe they tally up my mileage then. During the pandemic, or sorry, uh, the NCDOT is a highway agency. Nearly 80% of its $5 billion annual budget is spent on roads and highways. $5 billion a year, 80% of its budget. This makes sense because on the revenue side, 98% of the DOT funds come from road users. When federal funding is included, the state gas tax still represents the largest share of revenue sources. Any non-road transportation spending is really being subsidized by road users. So when you hear people complaining about the traffic that a particular development is going to generate, there is a point there, yes, absolutely, it's going to generate traffic. Welcome to a city. That's kind of what happens in cities when you pack people in so close together. There's a lot of traffic because there are a lot of people. But the, the, the other side of that is that they're generating revenue to pay for all of those other non-road transportation projects, like trains, for example. Unlike the vast majority of the country, in North Carolina, the state government owns more than half of all the road miles in the state. We yeah, we, we own more roads at a state level than any other state. As challenges arrive, 
Lawmakers will need to propose new solutions to build and maintain roads. The gas tax represents the largest share of NCDOT revenue. But the gas tax may not be sufficient to fund road building and maintenance with cars becoming increasingly fuel efficient. Electric vehicles increase as a share in the vehicle market as well, in part due to mandates. The gas tax rise, um, it does rise, I should say, to, uh, to track with uh, inflation, but it's not tied to overall inflation measures. Instead, Paige Terryberry writes, the tax is based on a formula defined in state law. It is primarily subject to changes in the state population, changes to the energy index portion of the consumer price index, and the tax is included in the sky-high prices you see at the pump. So what's the solution? John Locke Foundation has long advocated for a mileage-based user fee or an MBUF, M-B-U-F. I like to call it the MBUF, the mileage-based user fee. A Locke research report by Randall O'Toole of the Cato Institute says the premise of an MBUF is that people should pay proportionate to their road consumption and the potential damage they do to the roads. So as a lowercase l libertarian, I will tell you, I am, I generally am in favor of user fees. If you use the service or product, then I think you should pay. User pays. I think that's the way things should generally go, which is why when everybody was complaining about the toll road, sorry, toll lane on I-77 through North Mech, and they were all so mad that all the local people voted for it, and then Pat McCrory didn't stop it and cost the state billions of dollars, and they were like, we're going to toss Pat McCrory out, and then you did, and then we got eight years of Roy Cooper, so thanks for that. But um, the toll lane, like that's a user-pay model. And I know you think you deserve the road because you have a car, and I pay my taxes, right? I, I get it. But a user-pay model makes sense. And also... Uh, for people who are like, oh, I don't like those hot lanes, the lanes where, you know, you can pay and the, the rates change based on the uh, uh, the ocu- or the, uh, the, the how busy, how congested the road is. It gets more expensive if the road is really crowded, that sort of thing. And like, oh, you know, rich people and rich people just drive in that lane. I'm OK with that, too. I'm not rich. But you know what? They're not going to be in my lane anymore. That's fantastic. Yeah. If anybody, you can get people out of my lane. Do so. Get out of my lane. Calculating miles traveled, though, presents complications. We'll get into that in a minute. That's the Black Keys. All right, Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. The John Locke Foundation says the current gas tax that we pay, it's like, 38, 39 cents per gallon goes to the state to fund transportation projects, mostly roads. And our current tax, that gas tax system, is regressive. It disproportionately harms low-income households, right? Because they have to pay 38 cents just like the rich households do. And the, the poor households, they need their car to go to work. And 38 cents is going to take more out of a, a dollar for them than... Well, it takes the same out of a dollar for a rich person, but they feel it more, right? That's why it's regressive. The sales taxes tend to be regressive, and low-income families pay a greater share of their income on the gas tax and on transportation costs overall. 
So John Locke Foundation says, can I interest you in an MBUF? The mileage-based user fee system. And Randall O'Toole out of the Cato Institute said basically it's, you know, the more you drive on the roads, the more you're going to pay. Calculating miles traveled presents complications, though, right? Privacy, cost of implementation, those are the big concerns. Um, MBUF proposals often suggest using an onboard vehicle device that could capture the distance driven. You mean like an odometer? (laughs) I think those are already on the cars. We could do something like that. Though other creative methods are likely available, consumers could be protected by paying fees to insurance companies rather than the state. This data could later be deleted to alleviate privacy concerns. I don't know. Maybe, maybe when you bring your car in for the inspection, maybe you do it there. Uh, do it then. Of course, it would be like a massive tax. Like my my car comes up for inspection in like January, February timeframe every uh, year. And I would not enjoy taking my car in for its inspection and then getting hit with a, a tax bill for all of the, the driving I did in the past year. So I don't know how you get around that. I don't know how you actually implement something like this, but for, you know, computer monitoring inside the vehicles. And I got privacy concerns about that. I do. I this is, this is where I'm torn. I like the user fee model, but the privacy concerns are also pretty big, too. Now, there was a... Hang on a second. There was... I have a, a story here. Where did it go? In the stack of stuff. Two, two, two. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Classic cars. Classic cars are greener than EVs. There is a uh, publication called Motorious... Motor, motorious, motorious, motorious. Anyway, um, they say it references a study from British insurance company Footman James, and which is a total British sounding name, Footman James. And uh, what they find, quote, a classic car notching up the national average of 12,000 or sorry, 1200 miles emits 563 kilograms of CO2 a year, 563 kilograms. By comparison, a brand new Volkswagen Golf has a carbon footprint of 6.8 tons of CO2. The day it leaves the factory, a figure that it would take the average classic car 12 years to match. For an electric vehicle, the footprint is even greater. A battery-powered Polestar 2 creates 26 tons of CO2 during its production. Emissions that would take a typical classic car 46 years to achieve. By which time the EV's cutting-edge lithium-ion battery would have long since lost its ability to hold a charge and been consigned to the nearest recycling facility. The narrative says that electric vehicles are greener, but that's because you're only looking at the tailpipe emissions. And you think that's the whole equation, but that's not the whole equation. They don't consider the pollution generated by the manufacturing process. Also, the green shirts have given us blackouts, power rationing. Look at Great Britain, high energy costs. The government says, oh, we're going to have to ration electricity. You got blackouts uh, this summer in America. They're like, 
we're very our uh, our grid is uh, very vulnerable to summer blackouts. And then of course famine, bans on chemical fertilizers. Sri Lanka, Netherlands. We're going to get into that after the news. 